Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a sermon from Scott on living like a sheep. Where's Waldo and auto stereograms? Those auto stereograms are those books that are dots and colors. And you look at them, if you surrender to the dots, they become three-dimensional. So reading the parables of Jesus is like searching for something, clues in the parable. All of them have clues. And this one has two Waldos in it. And that's a problem. (laughs) And, And at the same time, surrendering to the parable so that the parable gets you the way it's supposed to. And that's what parables do with Jesus. And if you think you've got them, they'll get you. Each one of them, of these parables, teach us to imagine a world like the kingdom. So we're invited into the kingdom, and they stimulate our imagination if you surrender to the story. Eugene Peterson put it like this, Jesus told stories. I love this expression. As it turned out, he was a very good storyteller. (laughs) His stories, as good stories always do, penetrate our imagination and take on lives of their own in us. We find ourselves often, without even being aware of it, inhabiting the world of the story. Now, Jesus has us where he wants us, understanding life from his point of view, seeing ourselves, God, and one another from the inside, from inside the kingdom of God. That's what parables do, exactly. But there is a problem. Parables about the second coming uh, turn into the imaginations of the imaginative, uh, especially when they turn into questions about the rapture. They excite, they do what the Beach Boys called excitations. (laughs) And lots of speculations and frustrations And I'll stop there or it will lead to non-sanctification. I grew up in a church that occasionally, every fall, invited some hotshot preacher to do a revival. And the best way to excite revival fervor was to talk about the rapture and to suggest that we might not get home tonight before it happens. They always told gripping stories. Some of them, I am now convinced, were fiction but they were really scary stories of people dying too young. Well, sometimes these parables of Jesus excite imaginations and speculations and nonsensifications. But I had an experience in college that uh, calmed down my excitations and nonsensifications and turned it into sanctifications. I was at a bookstore at Erdman's, uh, it's called the bookstore. It's a very clever name. And the man who ran the bookstore was a man named Casey Lambrexta. He was an old Dutchman who uh, lost his little son when he was little. His, he named him. He's very reformed. He named his son John Calvin, which was clever for him. Uh, but he told, he wrote, the rest of his life he wrote novels about his son growing up. And so one day, full of fervor and excitations, from a class on eschatology in college, I started asking him his positions on the rapture. Was he 
pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, and Doug Moo called it the Chicago trip. <laughs> and uh, Casey said, I said, what's your position? He said, I know this, Jesus is coming back and I need to be ready. Well, that ended my excitations <laughs> and deliberations with him. But that's just the point about this parable, this parable of the sheep and the goat. The Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, is coming back, and we need to be ready. So the parable uh, today is, a, is set up by two other parables, all tied to Jesus' predictions of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And in each one of them, uh, Jesus anticipates the final judgment in the judgment that is coming upon Jerusalem and the people connected to it. And the readings that we read today all connect this to the shepherd. God is shepherd. The people of God is the sheep. And we are excited uh, and we are uh, invited in this parable to imagine a world like this, a kingdom world. And so I want to look at this, and our first opportunity for imagination today is that we are to imagine our shepherd king as our judge. How's that for a happy thought? Imagine the judge, verses 31 through 33, read like this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations, that's one of the Waldo discussions, who's involved there, will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This is a parable about Jesus. And Jesus is here, the Son of Man, which draws upon Daniel chapter 7. If you want to read that passage. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who is the judge, who will come and judge all human beings. So the focus of the parable is on Jesus as the judge. And in our readings in the lectionary, every three years we rotate on this Christ the King Sunday, the focus is on Jesus as the judge. It takes great imagination today to think that Jesus is the judge of our world. When we watch news 24-7 and look at our Twitter feeds and they blow up over the, the lightest of comments by our president, and social media like Facebook, uh, it can be a challenge to believe that Jesus is the judge and that Jesus is the Lord. But Jesus is the judge. And this is a theme that is so important in the pages of the Bible, that life does not end when we die, but there will be a judgment. As Mr. Beaver told Lucy, one of the Pavensi kids, of course he's not safe. But he's good. He is the king, I tell you. Jesus is the judge, the son of man, but he's a good judge. And he has come back to redeem the sheep. So we are to imagine Jesus as the judge, as the Lord, as the king, as the shepherd who will judge. And he stands us on our heads and permits us to see a deeper reality in this parable, that we are accountable accountable to God, and King Jesus will be our judge. 
He will judge all nations, it says in verse 32. When we think about this theme, and it's probably not a theme that we all like to grow up or wake up in the morning to think about, Jesus as judge, we have to realize that life uh, is, is a test that we will be judged by God on the basis of our life, what we did with our life, and it will determine our eternal destiny. That life now transcends the life that we experience in our ordinary realities, and that Jesus is the judge. And in this parable, some people are sheep and some people are goats. And that's the image that he wants us to use. Klein Snodgrass, who is the, maybe the world's leading expert on parables, people who write 700-page books on parables are experts. He spent 20 years working on this book. He clarified, uh, because sometimes it's properly uh, mis- misunderstood, that there is not a, an, in, uh, uh, an inherent distinction in the Jewish world between goats and sheep, that goats are bad, and sheep are good, it's not the point. It is rather that it's just sort of a convenient opportunity for Jesus to separate, for the Son of Man to separate things into different animals. So goats were very valuable in Judaism, so this is not about the inherent uh, unvalue of goats. It is an opportunity for us to see that people will be divided into two groups in the judgment. Some are goats, and some are sheep, and Jesus will decide who goes where. History will not go on endlessly, then, without completion. It will come to a close. The books will be opened. The gates will be shut. And each chapter, as C.S. Lewis said in the last battle, will go on and be better and better and better than the last for the sheep not for the goats. So, when you read this parable, this is what you learn. Don't be a goat. Right? What's a goat? We'll get to that in the second point. We are also given an opportunity to imagine our shepherd king's criterion in the judgment is compassion. Is compassion. There is something about many of Jesus' parables that we need to know if we're going to be honest. Don't get comfortable. Because the minute you feel comfortable, he's got you. And you will be surprised. When you think you are safe, when you think you are in the in-group, you find Jesus looking into your eyes with a surprise. Here's the problem with this parable. Most of us today in this room think we're sheep, right? Who wants to admit they're goats? Jesus' target in this audience, in this parable, is comfortable sheep. So in verses 35 to 36, we read this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. In verse 40, Jesus says, Truly, 
I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. At the time of Jesus, the expectation of ordinary Jews is that they would be judged on the basis of their observance of the Torah or the law. But Jesus surprises them. Fred Craddock, who was a -a one-of-a-kind preacher, southerner, said it this way, If we know we are going to face a final exam of one question, and we are told by the examiner what that question will be, is it not reasonable to suppose that one question would gather to itself the interest and the energies and the concerns of all of us? Sure. Now here's the question of this parable. How did you respond to human need? That's it. That's the question. The love of Torah, so typical of those who were Torah observant in the Jewish world, becomes for Jesus a Torah about love. And the question is not whether you love the Torah, but whether you are a person who loves as the Torah commands you to love. There's a big difference between Bible lovers and God lovers. I was just with 9,000 of them in Boston at SBL. You can't always distinguish between Bible lovers and God lovers and Jesus lovers and other lovers. Knowledge of Torah does not guarantee becoming a loving person. Well, some people think that Jesus' question in this parable is not enough. Surely there must be a theological test. Some orthodoxy, please. Some evangelical faithfulness, thank you. Or at least the Anglican's 39 articles. Sorry. Some think it's not enough. Surely the question is, did you receive me into your heart? No, that's not Jesus. That's not what Jesus says. Every judgment scene in the New Testament, so-called Book of Grace, is based on behavior. It's based on works. Why? Because grace from God manifests itself in grace for others. And those who don't exhibit grace and kindness and compassion and love for others, according to the New Testament, have not been transformed by that grace and love. Now, this isn't a parable telling us everything about how the judgment works, but it is telling us something boldly true about the judgment. He tells this parable not to make us feel bad, but to excite our imaginations about compassionate living. Marilyn Robinson tells us about compassionate living in her book, When I Was a Child, I Read Books. I like that title. The book's okay. Parts of it are beautiful. She said, I think fiction may be an exercise in the capacity for imaginative love. That's what this parable comes down to a challenge for us about imaginative love, about how we might love those around us. Now, you're still asking the question that I'm asking. What's a goat? Who's a goat? Am I a goat? Let's get personal. So I'll answer that question. A goat is someone 
who headbutts those who are hurting and wounded and abused and in need of care. That's a goat. A goat headbutts the needy. Goats treat people as numbers, as employees, as customers, as potential sales, as targets, as objects. Not people, not people with names, not named people with personal histories and stories and emotions and a heart and a soul. Goats ignore people who are not to their own advantage. The better question is, what's a sheep? Who's a sheep? Am I a sheep? That's what we want to know. Are we on the left or on the right? If you're not asking that question, you're still looking for Waldo, because it's there. A sheep is someone who offers cold water and warm blankets and food and hospitality and visitation to those in need. A sheep is one who knows another person's name, that person's story, that person's heart, and that person's hope. Jesus lived like this. He had a radar for needy people. He knew names. He knew stories. He knew their hopes. He knew their hearts. Do we? Do I? Do you? Do we need to excite our imaginations for imaginative love? For the homeless around us? For children who are at risk in the world, in the United States, in the city of Chicago, and around the world? To all children who are frequently ignored in our own understandings of human life? To students or church folks who are looking toward a lonely Christmas, to former students from Redeemer, now pastors and priests all around the world, thanks to Jay, who'd like to hear from us. Write them a letter. We got email. Former students from Redeemer who are now missionaries, wondering if they're remembered. Single folks in our midst who wonder if they're ignored. Widows, the most neglected element of church worship and church fellowship. Senior citizens who wonder if they've been put on the shelf. Obsessive, compulsive, disordered folks who write me letters about whether they've committed the unpardonable sin and write long, long letters three or four times a year. Same guy, same questions, same problems. Chris can answer those questions better than I. He thinks it's I. Someone who has destroyed his family with a bad act. Still very much human, wondering if Redeemer folks will look at him with love and grace. A gay man, a lesbian woman, transgendered, wondering if the gentle eyes of Jesus will be seen in Redeemer folks when they see him. Persons stricken with diseases and lifelong conditions. Persons facing surgery. Parents with kids who seem to be sick too often. Imaginative love. It's all around us for an opportunity for us to imagine and to work. Do you see them? Sheep see them. Goats don't. Don't be a goat. Those for whom thoughts of helping others tears at the very fabric of their own lives because they have so much sorrow 
and so little emotion to give to those who also are in need. Immigrants looking for a place to land, a place to begin life all over again. Now, you can't be a sheep to everyone, and I think that's the burden of the skinny jeans group. They want to be sheep to everybody. You can't. But you can learn not to be a goat. You can learn to respond to those in your path, like the Good Samaritan. Sometimes sheep act like goats, you know. Good sheep act like goats. When she was pastoring and preaching in the same church, Barbara Brown Taylor told a story of a sheep that acted like a goat. Thursday, she said, I was driving to work at church through the early morning drizzle, my seatbelt on and my doors locked when I saw a car with its hood up on Howell Mill Road. As I approached, a tall black man stepped into the road holding up a pair of jumper cables and looking me straight in the eye. Several hundred pieces of information went through my mind in about three seconds. The man needs help. You are a single woman alone in a car. The man needs help. Never open your door to a stranger. Go to the nearest service station and send a mechanic. The man needs help. What if he cannot afford a mechanic? The man needs help. I am sorry, I cannot help. Maybe the next person will. And I drove on to work to complete my research for a sermon on the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Barbara Brown Taylor. So let's not pat ourselves on the back too fast about how good a sheep we are. All sheep sometimes act like goats. Sheep are those who are learning imaginative love. And when they get up each day, when they leave the home each day, when they enter the mall or the grocery store or the office, they don't know what it might mean, but they are ready to accept the challenge of imaginative love, loving a person whom they encounter as someone who is in need. King Jesus tells us this parable to challenge us to a kingdom way of life. And that means imagining a life of love for those in need. At the end of the first century, a letter was written called First Clement from the Christians in Rome to the Christians in Corinth. It was actually written by Clement, but he, it says to the Christians from Rome. Toward the end of the letter is a prayer, one that reflects our parable and speaks to its themes, and I'd like for it to be our prayer today. It's the prayer not of a goat, but of a sheep. We ask you, Master, to be our helper and protector. Save those among us who are in distress. Have mercy on the humble. Raise up the fallen. Show yourself to those in need. Heal the sick. Turn back those of your people who wander. Feed the hungry. Ransom prisoners. Raise up the weak. Comfort the discouraged. Let all the nations know that you are the only God, that Jesus Christ is your servant, and that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. Amen. We have a one-question final test at the end of time.
And that question is, how did you respond to human need? Stimulating question, and I hope you were as challenged as I was on what it really means to live with Jesus as king and the implications for us to live as sheep, um, which we all hopefully want to do. So really hope you enjoyed Scott's sermon today and our conversations that we have regularly here on Kingdom Roots. If you haven't had a chance to, to subscribe yet, that would be your best possible next step, just to make sure that you don't ever miss any of the content that we have coming your way. I want to encourage you to specifically subscribe because next week we're going to be talking about the incarnation taking root. Obviously an important topic as we um, are in the season of Advent and are coming into the celebration of Christmas that we have of um, Jesus coming to earth. So so grateful for joining, having you join us again today and we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. <music>